You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News. And today, busy show, big Pacers weekend. They go 2-0 against two miserable teams. Strange time to go 2-0, but they did play two teams they are way better than and beat them both. So credit to the Pacers. They actually played really well against Portland on Sunday. We'll break down what the Pacers did well this weekend, who looks good, what's coming up for them, all that stuff. Justin Anderson debuted as well. New guy in attendance. Look a little bit at how his debut went, what he looks good at, what it could mean for his future with the team. And then... A new recurring Monday segment with just three more Mondays this NBA season, for the Pacers at least. Standings watch. Where are they in the standings? In the inverse standings, how are the Cavs doing in the standings since the Pacers could have their first round pick? How are the Rockets doing in the standings since the Pacers definitely have their second round pick? Lots to get to today. Pacers win twice this weekend. Uh, weird time to be winning twice, like I just said, but they're way better than the Rockets. They're way, 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 way better than whatever the heck the Blazers are playing with right now. That roster is horrible. Uh, and the Pacers handle both of those games. They had to come back to beat the Rockets in an impressive fourth quarter rally. They were down late in that game, pretty late. Um, but Goga Batadze was good in the clutch in that game, and they were able to claw back from down as many as much as I think six or seven uh, in that fourth quarter. To, well, they were down nine at the beginning of the quarter, but uh, to, to, to finally take the lead and win it, they didn't get the lead in that game until the final minute. But but Goga had a putback dunk and a cutting dunk and just really did a great job down the stretch of that game to get the Pacers the win over the Rockets. Portland was terrible. Pacers won wire to wire. So what were the themes from this weekend of Pacers play where they go 2-0, and their first winning streak in quite a while? The last time the Pacers won consecutive games before this was um, January 19th in L.A. and then the next day when they beat the Warriors. So that Lakers-Warriors back-to-back basically two months, exactly two months ago was the last time the Pacers win twice in a row. And the biggest guy who shined to me this weekend was Goga Batadze finally getting a starting opportunity with Isaiah Jackson sidelined with his concussion. And then, as as many listeners know, I'm one of the Goga's uh, last people who thinks he still has a future potentially with the Pacers and in the NBA. As a decent player, You know, he definitely looked clunky and awkward fit with the new-look Pacers team. He was much faster after the trade deadline. But Goga crushes it against the Rockets. Perhaps his best game of the season, one of his best games of his career. 23 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, and a block. Oh, by the way, didn't miss a shot, hit three threes. He has been absolutely rolling, rolling of late. And then, repeat performance starting against the Blazers. 6 for 10 that night, 12 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists, plus 17 for Goga Batadze in that game. He continues to play well uh, in his recent minutes since the All-Star break. Uh, really, the first game of that time, he only played a minute and a half, so it's hard to count that one. But since the All-Star break, Goga has played nine games now in the eight prior to this Portland game. Ten points and five rebounds per game, shooting 72% from the field, 62.5% from deep. Obviously, unsustainable numbers, but 10 and five is exactly the numbers you'd need from a backup center. And if there's two games in there where he played a combined basically four minutes. If you take those out, he scored in double digits. In the last five games, he's been... In the rotation, the three balls falling. His defense looks good. Goga is really rounding into form with the new look Pacers. Again, as a guy, like I've said on the show many times, I think he's a rule follower, right? He knows the plays, and he knows what his teammates need him to do, and he does it every time. And sometimes when other guys are not on the same page as him, 
that gets clunky. But once he gets more chemistry and understands that timing, understands the rhythm of playing with new guys, he looks a lot better. Lo and behold, that's exactly what's happening now. He looked quite good in both of the Pacers' last two games. Another guy who shined, his front court partner, starting both of these games, O'Shea Brissett, 14-8-4 against Houston, including two threes. And then another wonderful game for Mr. Brissett, 24 against Portland, the only Pacer to score over 20 in that game. Cannon threes, crazy dunks, six free throws, nine rebounds, one assist, one steal. He's been pretty inconsistent, I think, since the Pacers made all their trades. Like some games he looks like he fits really well at Halliburton because of this random cutting, and his team defense is exactly what the starting five needs. His athleticism is crazy. And that's why he scored 27 against Boston, and he had that good 15-point game against Atlanta, 14 against Houston, obviously 24 in this one. Even then, the first two games after the trade, right, he had 18 against Cleveland and 22 against Minnesota. He's had some games where he looks awesome with this new core, and then he's had you know one for six against Orlando, and then one for seven the next night against Orlando, and two for eight against Cleveland the second time, right, and three for 12 against Memphis last week. So he's been up and down, definitely. Uh, enhanced opportunity is interesting for a guy like him who can't really create his own shot, so it's just going to be a matter of the shots going in, which is something he can get better at. But he does show at times that he's an excellent, excellent fit with this young core. And I keep beating around the bush because O'Shea Brissett had wonderful stats, looked good with this team this weekend. He also had finished off the best play of the Pacers season by a mile. If you haven't found it yet or if you're just tuning in to hear what the Pacers did this weekend, they played Portland Sunday and late in the second quarter, they got a steal on defense. Tyrese Halberton scoops the ball up, throws it ahead to Lance. Lance Stevenson catches it and in stride whips it behind his back between two defenders to O'Shea Brissett, who cocks up a dunk, turns around, pulls it back, and slams it over his own head. Justin Anderson is right behind him running up the court and is just stunned at what O'Shea Brissett just did and is literally standing right behind him with his hands on his head, his jaw drops. It is a hilarious picture of the two. It was a sick play, sick, sick, sick play. There were so many dunks in that game. Kiefer Sykes had a dunk in the third quarter on a breakaway on someone's head. O'Shea Brissett had a nasty tip slam. The Pacers just destroyed the poor Trailblazers who are just putting out a, a, a joke of roster right now and – that's what they needed to do, given where their last couple seasons had gone. But made the Pacers look amazing in that game. And Brissett's play was unbelievable. Uh, James Boyd's been asking all these questions from the Indy Star about you know, who's the best in-game dunker on this team. And uh, O'Shea is definitely the answer, I think, to that question. That was unbelievable. And he says, O'Shea said after the Portland game that he knows what his next cool in-game dunk is going to be. He didn't reveal what it is, but he I think it's cool that he plans him out because that was – I mean, it was sick. He flew – Everybody was stunned. Lance's pass was unbelievable. I mean, it, it was it was so easily the best play of the Pacers season. And in this time when they've just been getting rolled over over and over again, it was great to see something like that happen. Justin Anderson debuted this weekend. Talked a little bit about that earlier. Didn't play a ton of meaningful minutes against Houston. Nine minutes total in that game. Uh, hit a shot on a cut from Halberton. And something he did in that game I thought was interesting. We'll talk about this in the second segment. It's going to be all about him. But he guarded centers. Right? He was on Shingun for part of that game, which was interesting. He started in their second game against Portland. Again, we'll talk more about him in the second segment. 18 points for Justin Anderson in the second game. So not just a debut, but uh, looking like a decent player, Justin Anderson, so far. And in his two games on his second 10-day, fitting in with a new-look Pacers team, a new scheme Pacers team, just a different group than the one he played with earlier this season. And then just some one-off stuff uh, against the Rockets. Malcolm Brogdon dominated. Dominated 25 points, 11 of 19 from the field, completely controlling the Pacers' offense. His floater game was rolling, and that one wasn't necessarily the assist machine in that game, but his scoring was much needed for the Pacers. Then they sit him. They just sit him against Portland for rest reasons. No injury, just rest reasons. One, hey, the Pacers are going to be resting guys down the stretch of the season. Just note that with vets. 
and they just announced TJ Warren's out for the season. If you're thinking you're going to see TJ McConnell and Miles Turner the rest of the season, I would say the fact that they're just resting healthy Brogdon, and he's had a million injuries this season, you know, they can get away with that, but I think the fact that they're resting healthy Brogdon would suggest that you're probably not going to see the Vets very much down the stretch of the season, and, if, and Brogdon specifically, you know, I'm sure he'll play other games, and their next game is the Kings game against Sabonis, Holiday, and Lamb. Like, everyone's going to want to be up and into that one, but it seems like they're in a young guy evaluation and development mode if they're just resting Malcolm Brogdon. He was excellent against the Rockets. Lance Stevenson, who's been in and out of lineups with his ankle injury, looked very good in both games this weekend. Six assists against Houston, plus 10, guided that second unit very well. Only took three shots, then against Portland, only took one shot, but was a plus 25 second highest on the team because he had 11 assists, six rebounds, and three steals. He definitely looks healthier and is in more of a groove with that second unit. They've been really missing him uh, in that group. And then Dwayne Washington continues to just scorch earth, uh, hit two for five from deep in both games and had 13 points both times this week. And he's quietly creeping up on top 10 in this rookie class in points per game, which given where his season started and where he's been basically this whole season with the Pacers has been remarkable to see. So a lot of good stuff for the Pacers this weekend. I, were, I really struggle to think of you know anyone who was like bad for for either game, really. I mean, some guys were – like Buddy Heald really struggled to get a shot in against the Rockets, but still made some clutch plays and clutch free throws and some big threes. And Halliburton had a nice weekend. It's hard to find someone who really struggled or didn't stand out in some sort of way compared to expectations. Everybody found a way to – to put their input on the game, even Keeper Sykes having a nice game uh, against Portland on Sunday. So good Pacers weekend, but that'll happen when you play two crappy teams consecutively. And really the Pacers I mean, only play, they play Sacramento Wednesday in that game. You can throw out the records. With the trade involved, I think that game is going to be impossible to predict. But they play Sacramento, and then they play Detroit on the 3rd of April. Other than that, they play good teams or teams that are fighting for something in the standings every game the rest of the way. So I don't expect they'll have any... Runaway easy ones like this. And we'll talk about this in the end in standings watch. We'll look at the schedules of pertinent teams, including the Pacers, for the rest of the season. Let's talk about Justin Anderson, his debut weekend with the Pacers. What did he do? What does it mean? What can his future be with this team if he continues to play like he did this weekend? Like I said, looked pretty good in his first moments with the new team. But before we do that, let me tell you guys about the good folks over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever you haven't tried them you absolutely have to they're protein bars that taste like candy bars and they come in a bunch of really good flavors they've got some puff infused ones that are fluffy they've got peanut butter brownie which is my favorite cookie dough is really popular their seasonal saint patrick's day flavor that's out right now is really good you've got to try them 100 covered in chocolate protein butters are actually good everyone i've had in the store is like chalky or like a big square and disgusting and not good but these are actually good low calorie high protein you can see all the macros of their health statuses on their website. You'll be blown away. You got to try them. I'm, I'm 100% covered in chocolate. They'll taste exactly like the flavor that they say. And they have texture that matches said flavor. Go to built.com to try them yourself. If you don't believe me, use promo code LOCKED15. When you check out, you'll get 15% off your order. That promo code again is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day. For your second listen, let's go check out Lockdown Blazers with Mike Richmond who's covering a team that is uh, struggling, to say the least, and is definitely going for development and is also in the wins and lessons camp along with the Indiana Pacers at this point. Let's talk about Justin Anderson, who had a nice week and a nice day, nice weekend, excuse me, and a nice debut with the Pacers. And it's encouraging for a team that has been looking for promising players on the wing for years and years. And, you know, Justin Anderson had this injury that kept him out last season. He had to have surgery. Uh, and that's the only year of his career he didn't play. And he, you know, it really hurt him. 
uh, you know, he had a, a stress syndrome in his left leg, which is a weird one that keeps you out for a long time. And with the bubble in the shortened season last year, it was really hard for him to get on a team, but was quietly decent the year before that, you know, in the bubble for the Nets and was pretty good for the Hawks the year before that. Like, you know, his year out of the league kind of diminishes value in my head, but he showed this weekend that he's a player. He's an NBA player, certainly, and is fighting to keep that spot in the league. Uh, and he was fantastic against the Blazers and pretty good against the Rockets. So what, what did we see? Like, I'll, we'll go chronologically just in general, but, I mean, a lot of this stuff showed up in both games. The first note I had about him, and I think this is the one that gives me the most belief in him being an NBA player, and this isn't to say his like future is with the Pacers long-term or anything. It's only been three day, four days since they added him, but you know he was guarding Alperin Shangun for a couple possessions against the Rockets pretty successfully because he's got such a big, strong frame. And if he can guard three through five pretty easily because he can guard wings and fours, that's a good, like, a break glass in case of emergency kind of wing or defender to have on your team. Even if he's not needed in every game, just to have that sort of utility on defense is really valuable. And he did a nice, good job on Shangun in those games. And he's been lauded. I forget who said it, that he could guard one through five. I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't think he has the speed necessarily for guards. But I think he can guard three through five pretty well. As a 230-pound, six-foot-six guy, he can he can hang with a lot of a lot of people with that weight. And his team defense was good as well. Like there were a lot of possessions where he was guarding uh, Garrison Matthews for the Rockets, a shooter. So he's kind of spaced out and calling out where to go and pointing at guys and, and leaning in for help and stuff. I just I was impressed by his defense mostly against the Rockets uh, in that game. And he kind of t- said, you know, after the the Portland game when he was on the stand doing post game media, he's like, yeah, it's been helpful and easy to do this transition. From the, from the Mad Ants up because we all run the same stuff, right? The Mad Ants have been helpful for guys in that way because Tom Hankins is also a Pacers assistant coach and they do a lot of the same sort of, you know, sets and terminology for defense and stuff like that. So when he comes up, not only is he a good player, but he just knows what to do and where to go and when because he's run all this stuff before and he knows what the timing is supposed to be and he knows what he's supposed to say and how to do it. So that's made stuff easy for him and, and that looked very obvious very quickly that he could hop right in the rotation and help out right away. But that, you know, that that first game was all defense. You know, he missed three shots. He scored once. It was a layup on a cut. It was a contested layup, but whatever. The second game is where he he just took off because first of all, he shows up at the arena for this Blazers game, and Malcolm Brogdon's resting out, right? So they have to change their starting five. And so Justin Anderson doesn't even know he's starting. He shows up, and they have this whiteboard in the locker room and in the corner. Well, this is how it used to be. I haven't been in a locker room with new coaches, but old coaching staffs. They would write down the players in a Sharpie who is starting, and then they have like a list of like warm-up times and stuff, whatever. You don't need all this inside information. But Justin Anderson saw his name on the board. That's how he found out he was starting uh, is that he comes in and he, sh- he sees his name on the whiteboard, right? So he hasn't started with this team. He hasn't played much with Brissett and Goga. Well, he played with O'Shea Brissett with the Raptors 905, but he hasn't played much with Goga or the two Kings guys or anything. And they, you know, especially the two Kings guys who weren't even on the team when he came in the first time. And he, Justin Anderson, comes in and was awesome. He scored the team's first two points at the free throw line, hit two corner threes in the first quarter, he had double digits by halftime. The last time he scored double digits prior to this Portland game was in twenty in the bubble in 2020. That's how long it's been. And, you know, that doesn't, 2020 doesn't sound that long ago, but think of, like, the last time T.J. Warren was playing meaningful basketball. Like, it was a long time ago. So really productive game for him offensively. He hadn't scored over 18 since back when he was with the Hawks, right, in the 2018-19 season, or more than 11, excuse me. So it was a really, really big come-out-of-your-shell kind of performance from him. And the threes early were interesting because his three balls there at Virginia, it looked like a skill he'd have in the NBA, but with Dallas, he shot under 20%. With Philly, he was at 31%. With Atlanta, at 31%. Like, it hasn't been a thing that's happened for him yet. And in the G League, he killed it from deep, right? He was on fire 
as a G League player. Uh, you know, I obviously have talked about on the show how he led the league in scoring, and that, that's part of why they signed him. But he shot 39.6% from three-point range in the G League. Like, that is encouraging, especially because he's taking, oh, I don't know, 10 a game. That's not a, that's not a joke. He took 10 threes a game with the Mad Ant. So that suggests, like, that's a big sample. That suggests that he has at least improved his three-point shot and the free throw percentage he's had his whole career has been basically high 70s or higher all the time. 85% last year with the Nets. Like, clearly something he's gotten better at in the G League. His free throw percentage was 88.5, right? And free throw percentage, I say that to say, is a decent barometer for good shooters or at least good technique and good rhythm for shooting. So the fact that his three-point percentage is getting better at the same time as his free throw percentage is getting better suggests to me that his jumper might actually be getting better. And that's not to say he's going to jump from, you know, a 29% career three-point shooter to like a weapon from deep all of a sudden. Like he shot 9.1% for the Pacers prior to hitting half of them in this game against the Blazers. And that's a tiny sample size for the Pacers. But still, you know, it's not something you expect to lean on. But if it is something he's grown and his G League stats are indicative of maybe like a 35% three-point shooter, that that is a solid NBA player because his team defense is legitimately good. He's stocky enough to guard a couple positions. Like, the fact that he could be a shooter, that would make him legitimately like must, not must roster, but some team in the league should have him as their, you know, 12 to 15th guy. Maybe more than that if he can shoot this well. And he, he can't do that every game or else he would have. Like, he was one for five for the Pacers this season when they played against the Knicks and the only other game he played more than 10 minutes, right? So it's, it's unlikely he's this level of a shooter that he was against the Blazers hitting three of six, including two big ones in the first quarter in the corner. But if he can be a knockdown corner guy and like a 35% shooter, that'd be big for his growth. And he, he was good in other ways, right? Six rebounds, four assists. The Pacers had 38 assists against the Blazers. They just, they just ran the Blazers over. It's hard to state how well they were, but um, Carlisle talked about, you know, he's gotten much better vision and Carlisle talking about Anderson's growth means more because he coached him the first two years, right? So he's seen him his whole career, but he said, he's got much better vision for the floor. He shoots the ball well, and he's a good rebounder for his size. Those things all showed up in the Blazers game. He just looked good. And you know, the Blazers are awful. That's a big caveat for a lot of guys stats in that one game. But the, I just have talked about this a lot with Warren being out. And I think this applies to, to Justin Anderson, but occasionally when they, they happen, when he has these games where he shoots well, or when O'Shea Brissett moves down a position and, and, and shoots well or whatever, Buddy healed playing up a position and having a nice game. It just shows the value that having a quali- quality wing play can have in the Pacers. You know, Justin Holiday took a step back this season and Torrey Craig kind of struggled at times. And they just, you know, Duarte's been an inconsistent rookie. Like they just haven't had a ton of consistent or solid wing play from like a typical wing-sized player this season. And that's been a big, big, big part of their struggles, even though they – they're clearly taking steps to address it in some trades they've made and some guys on the roster. And like if Duarte gets stronger, he can do it consistently. And Anderson's there and O'Shea's played the three. Like they have ways going forward to kind of address it, but they need more guys of this size who can do this because you just see Justin Anderson come in and be able to switch and occasionally shoot and move around well at the right size. It's like, oh, wow, look how helpful that is. And TJ Warren was that guy for so long. They haven't had it in a while. And Justin Holiday could do it. Doug McDermott could do it. Now they're both gone. So, Finding these quality wings is helpful, and if Justin Anderson can truly be an NBA-level talent going forward and it's not just a flash in the pan, that's a huge win for this team. They have more time on the 10-day to evaluate him and then potentially another 10-day or another something, but this was a good start for him uh, for, for his first two games with the Pacers, certainly. I wasn't even sure if he'd get a ton of minutes, and you know, it took Brogdon being out and a bunch of other guys 
on the veteran side being out and took guys being out, Duarte being out, took guys in the right positions, not being able to play, but he was able to get some serious minutes right away and take advantage of them. So good for Justin Anderson. We'll see what he can do in their coming games. They still have, I believe, two, three more on his uh, current 10 days, Sacramento, Memphis, and Toronto. So more opportunities for him to show what he can do. Speaking of Sacramento, ironically, let's talk about standings. Where are the Pacers in their quest for the right pick in the lottery standings? Where are the Cavs, as the Pacers hopefully can get their first-round pick as well? Where are the Rockets, as the Pacers have their second-round pick? And I guess the Suns, but that's silly to say since the Pacers have their second-rounder. We're, we're going to talk about all that, but before I do that, it's that time of year again. March Madness is here. It's been crazy. It's been killer. My Hoosiers did not do super well in the meaningful part of the tournament, but that's okay. They made it. And for all the latest odds, contests, and player props for March Madness, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, sports podcasts, and sports news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and learn more about the trends in the action. BetOnline.net. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Go check out Locked On Now or Locked On NBA, two great ways to get recaps of all the action last night around the NBA, including yours truly on Locked On Now as we get the local perspective from the host of each team in every market around the NBA. Let's talk about the standings. We're going to do this every Monday for the rest of the season. Standings, watch. Where are the relevant teams for the Pacers in the standings? Where could the Pacers realistically end up in the reverse standings? Things like that. We'll start with the Pacers themselves. That's what everybody wants to know. As I am speaking, the Pacers and Kings are tied for fifth in the lottery standings. Obviously not where the Pacers want to be. Uh, The Kings and the Suns are currently playing at this very moment. And I believe the, the yeah the Kings are up ten at halftime, so it could be that by the time you hear this, the Pacers are back in uh, sole possession of fifth in the inverse standings. But uh, yeah, they're currently up two in the third quarter, 77-75 Kings at the moment. No De'Aaron Fox, so that's impressive for them. But even if the Kings lose, those two teams, the Kings and the Pacers, play on Wednesday, so that could change very quickly. Either way, Pacers are in fifth in the inverse standings right now. The top four: Houston, Orlando, Detroit, and OKC are all five wins behind the Kings and the Pacers. There is almost no way that those teams are going to win five. of Basically, every team in the NBA has like 10 to 12 games left. Detroit is kind of playing good. They've won four of their last 10, and that's the best of any of those four teams in their last 10 games. None of those teams are reaching 25 wins. So the Pacers are not getting into the top four in the, in the inverse standings. It's not even worth really mentioning that as a possibility anymore. The teams that are relevant for the Pacers the rest of the way in the inverse standings are Obviously, the Kings, who have the same number of wins as the Pacers as of right now. The Portland Trailblazers, who the Pacers just beat, who are 26 and 44. And the San Antonio Spurs, who have 27 wins and 44 losses. Those teams right with the Pacers in terms of games played, two behind right now. So, the relevant parties. Will the Pacers finish with a worse record than them? Losing to the, the, the Kings is the biggest Pacers game of the rest of the season. If they lose that game, that'd be really helpful for their chances to get up into the top five picks. But remember, besides that, the Pacers' only other crappy opponent they play is Detroit, who's actually playing decently recently and very recently beat the Pacers uh, March 4th, right? So the Pacers don't have a ton of easy games left. So if they if they want to duck behind these teams, they can just continue to play normally. But Portland is awful. They've won one of their last 10. I, it, it, I think the Pacers are probably going to jump Portland in the inverse standings because the Portland, it, the team they're putting out there is atrocious and it's so hard for them to get wins. Versus the Pacers, who 
you know, they, they even their young guys that they have to play for development purposes are good enough to win at least two or three of the rest of the way. And I don't know if Portland's going to win that set, that many for the rest of the season. That said, you know, as you look at these teams, the Kings are still technically pushing for the plan. I don't think they'll get it, but they're trying to get it. And if they keep trying to win, that could be the best thing that could happen for the Pacers because so currently the Kings are, I mean, obviously the Pacers want to jump up at the standings. Currently the Kings are five out of the plan. Like that looks insanely unlikely at this stage of time. They should probably stop trying to get up there. Um, on the rest of the Kings schedule, they do play the Magic, who they should be they should be able to beat, although who knows, the Pacers would like the Kings to win that game. They obviously play the Pacers. They also play the Rockets twice, right? So the Kings have some easy games left that they could end up winning just by default. They have Sabonis. They have De'Aaron Fox. They have good enough players to get probably three more wins. If they beat the Pacers, maybe four more wins. So that is some, the way that the Pacers could stay in fifth, is if the Kings win some of those games. The other thing in the Pacers' favor is this, you know, the Spurs having two more wins in them and, and Portland having one is the Portland Portland still plays the Blazers this season. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me be more clear because this is a big point for the Pacers this season. The Spurs and Blazers play three more times this season. That is not a typo. Their schedules are so weird and that they play three more times this season. March 23rd, April 1st, and April 3rd, the Spurs and Blazers still play. So that's three wins that are going to happen between those two teams that are right ahead of the Pacers in the standings. That means to me, I'll assume, given the quality of Portland right now, that San Antonio wins at least two, maybe all three of those. I don't think the Pacers can fall farther than seventh in the inverse standings. I think five, six, sevens where they're going to end up one of those. So we'll see who ends up winning those games. And Greg Popovich does what he does and ends up winning more often than not. And Currently, the Pacers have the best record of those four teams, Sacramento, Indiana, Portland, San Antonio. In the last 10 games, they also have a harder schedule coming up. But I think I think the most likely ending for the Pacers is probably six or six and Portland gets five or seven and the Kings end up getting ahead of them in the inverse standings. But I think San Antonio, because they play Portland twice and will probably win one or two more of the rest of their games, will probably end up finishing behind the Pacers in the inverse standings. So that's part one of this. We'll circle back next week as we continue to do standings watch. Part two, as we go through all these teams, is the Rockets. This one's very easy and very quick. There's not a ton to talk about here. The Rockets uh, have the worst record in the league right now, which means the Pacers' second-round pick that they're owed from Houston is currently 31. Rooting against the Rockets is what Pacers fans should be doing. It's nice and easy to do. Being the Rockets, uh, although it did make the Pacers' inverse standing spot in the first round worse, did continue to give the Rockets the worst record in the league. They've lost five games in a row, and we're clearly looking towards Getting that number one pick. There's not a ton to look at there. The Magic are right on their tail with 18 wins. Detroit's got 19, but the both of those teams have won four of their last 10. So the Rockets safely looking at the bottom right now, which would be awesome for the Pacers to get 31 again. We saw what they were able to do with that same pick last year. The last one is way more interesting, and that's the Cavs. The Cavs, the Pacers have their first-round pick if the Cavs don't end up in the lottery. Basically, that requires Cleveland to make the playoffs which sounded great at the time of the trade. Karis LeVert has missed time since that trade. Uh, and Darius Garland's out for a little bit, and Jared Allen's been out. So for a while, that was looking shaky. There was a day, one day last week, where the Toronto Raptors tied the Cavs in the standings at 6-7. The Cavs were in that playing territory. Since then, the Cavs have now won two in a row. Toronto lost to the Lakers this weekend. So the Cavs have now cemented their spot in the standings ahead of the Toronto Raptors. And they are now firmly in sixth, a game and a half ahead of the Raptors, who are about to play the Philadelphia 76ers without Fred Van Vliet. So it's possible when you listen to this, that is a two-game gap with 10 games left, which is very favorable for the Cavs to make the playoffs. The other factor at play for the Cavs' playoff chase is 
They're a half game behind the Bulls for fifth, and the Bulls have won two of their last ten and lost three in a row. And the Cavs actually play the Bulls uh, later this season still. So there's a chance that that game is super, super important for who makes the playoffs. Cavs' next game is against the Lakers. LeBron's questionable. If he doesn't play, I mean, March 26th, circle that date if you're the Pacers. If the Cavs beat the Bulls, that could be one of the bigger games for Pacers fans to watch this season. There's pretty much five more games that are really important for Pacers fans, or four more external to the Pacers, and that is Cavs, Bulls, and all three of Portland versus San Antonio. And also the Kings-Pacers game is huge, of course, but they play in that game, so a little different. But currently, you know, between the Bulls, really, really big recent struggles. And the Cavs playing a little better. They're playing at home for a big stretch coming up. Their schedule's not super hard. And Toronto obviously losing their last game, could lose two in a row. I still think it's pretty likely the Cavs end up making the playoffs. It's not a, a foregone conclusion or anything that they avoid the play-in or anything like that. And the play-in's tough. you got to play Brooklyn in the play-in, and they look great. They're four games ahead of Brooklyn, so I think they'll finish ahead of the Nets. I think the Cavs will finish ahead of the Nets. I mean, it would take a, a the, the most wins that Brooklyn can get is 48, and th- that would require them going 11-0, and the Cavs are already going to be at 42 very soon. So that that seems almost impossible. But uh, the, the noteworthy other parties for the Cavs pick that currently, if the Pacers get it, by the way, sits at 18, that's pretty dang good, are Minnesota, who has one more win than Cleveland, uh, and has won nine of their last 10 games. And Denver, who's won six of their last 10, who also has 42 wins. Obviously, the Bulls are right there, too, but the Cavs passing the Bulls would make it more likely that the Pacers keep that pick. So there's a lot of factors at play. That makes it very confusing. But if you're a Pacers fan, I think you kind of root against the Bulls so that the Cavs have a better shot of making the playoffs. You root against the Raptors so the Pacers have a, the Cavs have a better shot of making the playoffs. And then kind of hope the Cavs teeter while those teams suffer so that the Cavs pick doesn't get any better, but it's still a pick that comes to Indiana. I think that would be the best-case scenario for the Pacers because getting the pick now has more value when you know you can get it versus you never know. Maybe next year Garland gets hurt right when the season starts, and then the Cavs will make the playoffs, and then you don't get the pick if you're the Pacers. Meanwhile, it's so close now. Get the conveyance over with. Get the first figure out the rest later. So we'll do this every week. We'll look at the standings, see how it went compared to last week. Last week's early results were not good for the Pacers. The weekend had some good results for the Pacers besides, you know, inverse standings, them winning their own games. But that is what it is. They need to be getting some winning habits for a young team, and they can't not play their young guys. So getting those two wins obviously doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, you know, I, I, you, most listeners know my thoughts on taking, but I, I'm getting away from the point. We'll do this every week. We'll track how last week went and see what's coming up for the Pacers and the teams that they care about in the standings. That's all for today's show, everybody. Thank you a ton for listening. Hope you had a wonderful weekend tomorrow. We're going to talk about the trade. It's been about a month since, a little over a month since the big Halliburton, Sabonis, Swaparoo, but previewing Kings Pacers, it's time to kind of rehash it a month later now that we have more evolved thoughts on what can happen for both sides. So that'll be fun. And obviously Wednesday, I'll preview the Kings Pacers extravaganza with some of the covered the Kings. Should be awesome. Thank you guys a ton for tuning in. Hope again you had a great weekend. And we will see you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.